And here we go. Episode 197 of The Brian Oak Show. And today we are doing a Zoom meeting. Not my preferred method of delivery, but we are far flung to the far corners today as our guests will be joining us from Austin, Texas, but with very good reason, as we'll find out shortly. First, let me say hi. I'm Brian Oak, and that is Sean Bernard. Hello, Sean. Hello. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, our most recent episode, we had local music maven Dean Vaccaro on on episode 196, and yes. he brought by some very good Halloween selections. Halloween is in two short days from when we record this, and I still have no idea what I'm going to be for Halloween. Your thoughts? I can't influence your decision, but I know that you'll be creative and will not be anything that anybody else is going to be that night. How's that for I, pressure? Yeah, well, it's a lot. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, have, I have friends who take Halloween extremely seriously. We've had this annual party for more than 30 years now, and I usually have at least a vague idea. And in years past, I've started working on it weeks in advance for the really good costumes. I have literally nothing. So we'll, th this year will be a test to find out if, do you hear that ringing in the background? Does somebody actually still have a plug-in phone? <laughs> Uh, so this has been a point of contention <laughs> with my wife and I for, you hear it in the background? Yeah. No, we have I a do. landline and there's oh. no reason to have a landline no. at all. We, no. we all literally have a, a significantly more sig uh, sophisticated communication device in our pocket at all times. Oh. But my wife refuses to let go of a landline and I'm like, it's dumb. I'm not, I'm not paying for this anymore. It's like, fine, I'll pay for it. I'm like, yes, you will, because I am not. Well, and there we go. And luckily though, I think my auto warranty did just run out. Out, so I should be able to upgrade that very shortly. Anyway, Your North, North, was, that Northwestern Bell bill goes directly to Colleen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also directly to 1974. <laughs> so this uh, podcast is made possible by our good friends at Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They jumped on board 197 episodes ago said they were in before they even heard episode one. And I'll be honest, the first couple were a little shaky, but we've gotten better over time. And they've been with us every step of the way, meaning Ignition Interlock. They can put technology in your car that will allow you to drive, even if you've had a DUI. Now, the thing to know, if you get busted, you are going to lose your license regardless, even before you're found guilty. But you need to drive. Everybody has to drive. If you are a driver, that's something you can't just take away from the equation. They'll get you back in your vehicle sooner and for less money than you might otherwise think. It's actually very reasonably priced and they're good at what they do. Plus, they're the ones who came up with the system in the first place. And since Minnesotans are so provincial, they are us. You know, they're not carpetbaggers. They didn't come floating into town trying to take money off people who are already going through a tough time. Ed and Mike and everybody involved over there are professionals. They're well-trained and they know what they're doing. They've supported us. We ask you to support them in the event that you should have a uh, <clears throat> transgression or if someone in your life does. SmartStartMN.com slash Brian Oak Show to find out how to get 20% off the installation of the Ignition Interlock. So coming up next, we are going to talk to a guest. You know, what I love about this show early on, it was all about music, right? And musicians. But over the course of time, it's evolved to be the people that inform our community or people that are music adjacent. And today we are going to be talking to a co-creator and chair of Sound Unseen, 
probably the definitive music film festival, whether we're talking about music docs or, you know, occasionally there's non-scripted stuff, you know, uh, fictional stuff, but it's really an amazing amalgamation. And we live in this kind of golden age, I think right now, and I'm looking forward to talking to Jim Brunzel about this, where these documentaries and these insights of bands we thought we already knew everything about continue to flourish and grow as interest in these bands and their legacy continues to grow. Case in point, this first song we're going to play right here, Sean, this is a band that I don't think ever got their due. I think even to this day, when you hear, oh, it's an all-female band, there's still this sort of odd air of novelty about it, right? Like people think like, oh, all women in a band, isn't that cute? When there have been all-female bands over the years that have been amazing, but this band never really got their due, but I happen to be a mega fan. I own every one of their records and even David Bowie once said how is this not one of the biggest bands on the planet because of their live performances he was a huge fan the band is called Fanny and this song right here as close as they ever got to a hit this is Ain't That Peculiar on the Brian Oak Show. Gentlemen remember to mute your computers while I play this song because it will pick up your audio as well here we go. Thank you. 
L.A. band Fanny right there. Seriously, one of the great unsung American bands. Was it because they were all female? Was it because that's just how the breaks are in the world of rock and roll? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know they left behind an incredible legacy of music. And now there's a great new film documenting much of that band's journey. And it's part of Sound Unsung. Now, if that sounds familiar, Sound Unseen has been going on for a long time. It is a music-oriented film festival and celebrated as one of the best film festivals nationwide every single year. We're talking right now to Jim Brunzel, who is the Sound Unseen Festival director. Now, he was born in the 70s, played sports in the 80s, went to school in the 90s, and started working film festivals in the 2000s, and has been doing so ever since. He never looked back. In the early 2000s, he graduated from the U of M, and he started volunteering around 2005 with the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Film Festival, another highly celebrated film festival, and has worked his way up to associate programmer and office manager by 2008. Then left for the corporate world because, you know, we all got to pay the bills. No harm, no foul there at all. But he's been a freelance film critic for many outlets. And he joined the Sound Unseen family back in 2008 as a programmer and became the director of the festival almost a decade ago. And during his tenure, this festival has risen to its dizzying heights where it is now, one of the 25 coolest film festivals in the world, according to Movie Maker Magazine, on more than one occasion. And we're lucky enough to have him now. I've met him before. I've had him on the air before. Uh, but Jim, thank you very much for joining me here on The Brian Oak Show. Brian Oak, it's so great to be back and speaking with you. It's been a while, my friend. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great to be on podcast episode 197. So Unbelievable, thank- <laughs> man. 197 of these things. Well, and this this is what's cool, because you are a Minnesota guy, but, uh, you know, understandably so, when you do what you do, you got to move around. You got to go where the action is. You're in Austin right now for the Austin edition of Sound Unseen. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Actually, let's talk a little bit about it right now, because we just came out of Fanny, and I don't want to get too far away from Fanny before we talk about it. You know, I don't ever try to be one of those cool guys, you know, like oh i made all the cool music no one's ever heard although as a music as a, as a music fan there's a lot of it that i love that i can't get my head around like why wasn't fanny a bigger band well maybe we're one step closer because i think you just said just last night the film about fanny that's being featured at sound unseen got premiered tell me about what went down last night yeah so i mean uh just to give you a little history it's true i am a minnesotan at heart uh even though i'm wearing a waterloo records t-shirt here which is based in austin <laughs> no shame all but um no i moved to austin for a programming job at a festival there called aglyph and i was there from 2014 to 2020 and because we did sound and scene last year virtually in minnesota and texas um you know, we made the decision to try to do a couple in-person screenings in Austin. And so we teamed up with the Austin Film Society. And one of the co-founders of AFS is uh, filmmaker Richard Linklater. And we were so fortunate enough to host a couple of these screenings at AFS. And we kicked things off last night with uh, in-person screening of Fanny, The Right to Rock. And one of our guests that we had was Fanny guitarist, Patty Quattro who lives in Austin. So right. it tied it all together and yeah, had this wonderful screening last night. And um, it's a film that uh, like you said, Brian, it's a history about a band that I don't think a lot of people know about and ain't that peculiar. The song that you played, it's hard to believe that song is 50 years old, you know, Wild. yes, very hard, you know, and there's a lot of talk in the, uh, 
the documentary, I don't want to spoil it for people, but yeah, there's a lot of huge fans in there. And another sort of Austin connection to all this, while I was living here, I became friends with Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. And she's featured in the film. And obviously the Go-Go's are influenced by Fanny. And this week they're getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, you know, there's a lot of Austin ties to this film. And unfortunately, none of the band members are going to be able to make it to the Minneapolis screening. But we are going to be showing it at the Parkway Theater on Sunday, November 14th. Well, the next time you come back to town... We're literally the Smart Start MN studio where we record on the regular is literally two doors south of the Parkway Theater. 48th in Chicago is our stomping okay. grounds for the Brian Oak show. So when you come back to town, do you promise you'll come and visit us in person? Absolutely. Okay, very good. So before we get, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about you, but then I want to get back to the film festival, why it's in Austin now, how people are going to be able to enjoy it here, because last year was a tough year, right? And everything was virtual. And of course, you could enjoy a visual and audio medium like film and like music over the internet, but there's nothing like in person, right? I mean, you're a cinephile. You decide, even though you've gotten a degree elsewhere, at some point, movies became your thing to the point where you were willing to volunteer. And I'm sure in the beginning work for peanuts and, you know, and do whatever it could to be close to these festivals and these creative types. It's kind of what I do with music, right? I knew I was never going to make music, but I, I wanted nothing more in my life to be close to it. And I feel that a similar thing with film happened to you. Where in the process of growing up, first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up, uh, I mean, I was born in St. Paul and right? Um, for those that may recognize my name, uh, my father was a professional wrestler in the AWA and WWF. Yeah, don't don't gloss over that because we are so provincial here. We love these sorts of things. Who was your father? <laughs> my father is uh, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, who was part nice. of the Bears. <laughs> Dude, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Like, you know, I know we don't want to live in the legacy or the shadow of our forebears forever, yeah. but also that's something I I would lead with that every time I met someone. <laughs> Hi, my dad was jumping Jim Brunzel. Uh, yeah. By the way, my name's Jim. Um, <laughs> I, I, I might have pulled that once or twice. I mean, I think the thing that's funny about all that, Brian, is, you know, sometimes I will be in conversations about wrestling and I won't even mention my dad. Right. And then when you drop that bomb on them, everyone just, you know, their eyes pop out of their head. Um, right. So speaking of that, my, my grandmother... May she rest in peace. Uh, my mom's mom, Denise, she would play poker once a week and canasta once a week. And in her canasta club was the wife of Larry the Axe Henning. And, you know, she would just drop that occasionally into conversation. <laughs> and as a kid, you know, wrestling, Minnesota and Texas are the two, you know, ground zeros for wrestling when it really became a thing in America. And, you know, just to drop that on a kid like, wait, what? What can I meet her? Like, and I was never there. I never got a chance to meet her, but that kind of stuff is cool. But so for you, you're growing up and where, so where did you grow up? I grew up in, uh, well, I went to high school in White Bear Lake. Okay. Uh, but I mean, we moved around a little bit. I lived briefly in North Carolina. And then when we moved back, we moved to Brooklyn park, but then we settled in White Bear and yeah, uh, you know, that's where my sister and I and mom and dad were for many, many years. And my parents are still in White Bear Lake. Love it. So as you're growing up, I know that you're a sports enthusiast, you played sports, but at some point, cinema and movies and the art of filmmaking captures you. Now, I don't think there's anybody out there, whether they have a diehard fascination or otherwise, or a, just a modest one. 
that hasn't fallen in love with a film, hasn't been enamored of the medium. You know, I mean, it has a way of moving you, but clearly at some point it, 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 it assumes a much larger role in your life. Was there an aha moment or did that just happen over time? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think a, it was at a very young age where I just sort of became fascinated with, you know, the moving picture and cinema. And, you know, I was raised on Disney movies and, you know, I think I just, for whatever reason, I just sort of got immersed into the storytelling and the acting and the scenery. And at a very young age, I mean, really growing up, the only two things I really wanted to be was either a professional football player or a film critic. And for many years, that's all I did. And I would write film reviews in like third, fourth, fifth grade. And my teachers would let me go in front of the class and read my reviews and talk about movies. Hang on, hang on. Let me interrupt for just one second, because that to me is fascinating, because I did the same thing pretending to be a radio guy into my little tape recorder where you had to press press play and record in the basement (laughs) when I was a kid. So not entirely, I mean, very analogous to what you're talking about. Do you remember one or two of the very first films you ever reviewed in front of your elementary school class? I want to say, well, as a kid, my favorite film growing up was E.T. So I definitely (laughs) talked about E.T. for sure. That's a solid one. That's a good one, man. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of young cinephiles grew up with Steven Spielberg, you know, especially yeah, yeah. if you're the product of the 70s or 80s. You know, I mean, I didn't get into real like Scorsese or Coppola or, you know, any of those 70s uh, filmmakers until later in more of my education. But yeah, it was Spielberg and, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T., And, you know, I mean, there was some Star Wars in there with this connection to George Lucas and, you know, sure. So you got to start somewhere. But I I do remember as a kid, because when my dad would travel and wrestling and he'd come back and would have like two weeks off and my grandparents lived in Florida, we'd always take trips to Disney World. And so that's why Disney was an important factor in my life growing up as well. And so I remember Mm -hmm. all those cartoons and uh, the animation And yeah, so it all just sort of, you know, culminated together and just wanting to, you know, see as much because to me, that was my encyclopedia into the outside world, into learning more was, you know, films and whether if they were comedies or dramas or documentaries. And, you know, I mean, someone had this great idea of meshing music and movies together. And in 1999, that's what Sound and Scene became which is an amazing story. We're going to talk more about that immediately. But first, I do have to hit one more sponsor, and that would be our most recent sponsor in sign-on, Forgotten Star Brewing. They're located in Fridley, also another fine Minnesota city. Not the northern end, close to my hometown of Coon Rapids, but the southern end. They're right there. You can see the Minneapolis skyline in the background. They're right there on the train tracks. It's cold, wet out today. And next week, it looks like there's going to be a few days where the highs are in the 30s. So the Ooh. times, they are a-changing. Uh, but they still have this great outdoor area. And they've got this gorgeous indoor space located in Fridley. Huge, old World War II manufacturing plant that has been converted into a very modern brewing run by really nice people. I don't know how many times I've said it on this show, but Sean and I made a policy early on. We're not going to work with dicks. We're just we're not <laughs> taking them. We're not. We're not going to take their money. We're not. We, we don't have any interest in working with people who are difficult or irritating or money grubbing these are nice guys and they do a good job there they've got a quality product they also have 
uh, very dog-friendly indoor and outdoor place. And I note that they have a huge comedy festival coming up here in just a little bit, which, you know, I don't think enough people prioritize that. Like, I rarely go out to see comedy. But when I do, I always at the end, I'm like, why don't I do this more often? And then don't think about it again for two years, you know? So whether you're watching emerging comedians or established comedians, although who's that guy with the puppets, Sean? The guy who does the ventriloquism bit, oh. sells out Target Center every year, Jeff Dunham? Jeff, Jeff Dunham. Yep, that's who it is. Yeah, don't go see that. But other comedians <laughs> do go see Jeff Dunham's awful. I can't, and he sells oh, people, out. People swear by him, though. They're like, he oh sells my out gosh. Target Center. Yeah. He sells out Targets. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Star <laughs> Brewing. Brewing.com to find a full round on all the entertainment they have coming up, what their featured beers are, et cetera, et cetera. But they're good people. They support us. And so we ask you to support them. So Sound Unseen is born. You've got uh, a history behind you of you know, already from the time you were in elementary school, apparently, of doing film critiquing, right? You become a fan of film, and now you're involved, because let's be honest, you know, independent directors, music heads, they're all very particular, and they're not going to suffer fools. And I wonder if not unlike independent music, you know, a lot of times when you start to deal with people at that level, there's sort of a, a dismissal of the establishment right like i mean you're so busy trying to distinguish yourself from what goes on around you or what matters what's real what's important do you find that as you've gone through this and been in so deeply involved with independent cinema for so long now do you find that you still can have an appreciation for you know a major motion picture the old stuff obviously nostalgia is always going to tug at our hearts but when it comes out today like you know, like dune i have two friends that went to see dune and they said we may have to think about reorganizing our top five favorite films of all time and i was blown away i'm like wow okay that seems big but all right but in in your depths of understanding of independent cinema do you still have any kind of appreciation or can you keep your mind open to the possibilities of what major hollywood cinema might be yeah, that's sort of a loaded question there, Oak. Um, I know. That's why I asked it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Um, Got to get the, the muscle memory going. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it is a tricky industry. Um, you know, like anything that you're, uh, you know, heavily invested in that you put a lot of time in, whether if it's researching, uh, reading articles, reviews, uh, social media. Yeah, you can sort of be bombarded and jaded by a lot of this stuff. And um I think the thing that I, you know, I'm not saying I discovered this early on, but I, I think when I got into all of the film festival stuff with M. Spiff, and I was sort of trying to find my way in the Twin Cities film and music community, because I'll, I'll mention real quick, I, I don't think this exists anymore, but even before I got into film, I wrote for this website called HowIsTheShow.com with David DeYoung. I remember. Andrea Myers, you know, who is now Andrea Swenson. And, you know, I would go to concerts, you know, four or five times a week and review concerts. But I knew that there was this point in my life where I couldn't keep up with both the music scene and the film scene. And I think it was like that love for film at an early age where I sort of wanted to invest more of my time there, you know, and explore the different avenues of, as you say, independent film and foreign film and Hollywood stuff. And yeah, I mean, I would ride my bike to the theater um, because there wasn't a theater close to me. Um, you know, once I got my license, I was making trips to the Lagoon and Oak Street Cinema 
you know, because those mm-hmm. films appealed to me more than, you know, what was at the Cineplex, just because I knew those films would eventually come out on VHS. And, you know, whereas a lot of these foreign and independent films, you know, if you missed it the week it was playing at a theater, it might be two, three years until that com- came out in a, in a format that you could see. And so, you know, from a young age, I just wanted to explore and sort of, you know, feed my knowledge and my brain of what else is out there, what other you know, important filmmakers should I be following? You know, what are topical things that are important in cinema? And, you know, nowadays in 2021, we're bombarded with all the streaming sites and, you know, it's just constant uh, product being produced. And, you know, and not to say that that isn't a good thing. It's just, it's overwhelming. So, yeah, as I was saying, um, I knew like in 2008, 2009, I needed to go to these festivals in person because I felt like that that was possibly an advantage I would have over a lot of the other film critics and other programmers. And, you know, the only people I would see regularly at these festivals from the Twin Cities was Cheryl Mosley at the Walker Art Center and Rob Nelson from City Pages. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't see, you know, Colin Covert or Chris Hewitt. And, you know, they're, they're friends, they're peers, and I respect the hell out of all these people. But I just knew if I was going to get anywhere doing film in some capacity as criticism or as a curator, I needed to be on the ground at these festivals. So I know this is a long-winded answer to your original question, but yes, I deeply still care about, you know, the films that I'm watching and have appreciation for. Now, there just aren't as many films, you know, in recent memory that have like knocked my socks off or blown me away per se, but, you know, each year I still put together a top 10 list and people comment on it and, you know, I still enjoy doing all that, but you know, the bigger picture is with sound and scene and these other festivals is, you know, with myself and my colleagues and Rich Gill and, you know, people I'm working in uh, Oxford on the idea is to bring these films to town that would otherwise not get shown. Which is, I, I think is brilliant. And, you know, you bring up a very interesting point about getting it on the ground floor and going to these festivals and finding a way to get, you know, there's so much static, there's so much background noise. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, today more than ever before, literally anybody with a computer or a phone and a torrenting site can go look at a movie and give their review and try to make their way without the experience or the acumen or the credentials, right? And so you did that a long time ago. You've been doing it for a while. You are the Sound Unseen Festival director. We're talking to Jim Brunzel III. So I don't like to go too long without hearing a little music on this show. And luckily, we're talking about the intersection of music and film when we talk about Sound Unseen. And here, I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Aha uh-huh are a Norwegian band, right? That's correct. Okay, woof. I again, <laughs> when, when it comes to Scandinavia, I'm like, I don't know, man. Finnish, Denmark. I, I, but luckily, I saw that one. I got right, and I believe they're the first Norwegian band to ever go number one in the U.S. First Swedish band to ever do so. Oh no, Dutch band. Sorry, it would be shocking. Blue, but you picked this song right here, which will always remain among my favorites. But tell me why you picked Aha uh-huh and where they're featured in Sound on the Scene, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Um, Well, uh, Take On Me is my second favorite video of all time. Mm. Um, It still holds up in 2021. And I've just been a big fan of their music, quite honestly. Now, I'm not someone that can rattle off all their, you know, catalog and their hits and, you know, their albums. But 
when I knew that there was a documentary film being made on AHA, it was definitely of interest. And it premiered earlier this year at Tribeca, which uh, Rich and I got the chance to see. And there's actually a bit of Minneapolis in the film, and I don't want to spoil it for people. Um, so there is a Minneapolis tie in the film that's just called AHA, the movie.
you know, there are certain people in the world who love to hate on the established, right? And I guess that's what I was kind of getting at about when I asked before about major cinema versus independent cinema, who were like, oh, that song, yeah, I guess. Because yes, we've all heard it a zillion times, but let me tell you right now, your favorite independent Brooklyn band never wrote a song as good as Take On Me, The End. That's where it is. I love yeah. that pick right there. Also, Jim, I love seeing your face, man. I'm feeling a little nostalgic because you remind me of a simpler time in my life. I haven't seen you in a long time and we're doing this by Zoom. You're in Austin, Texas. I want to talk about what Sound Unseen looks like down there in just a little bit here. But first, I got to take care of a couple more sponsors real quick. One is none other than friend, co-host, producer, ally, business partner. That's right. You, Sean Bernard, you I'm talking about, in addition to the many other fascinating things that make you the Renaissance man that you are, <laughs> you are also a realtor for Edina Realty at the 50th and France location. And now I've heard we're entering a different phase of the market. Now, again, I'm no expert, but what I've heard is for a while, there was literally zero inventory. Also, uh, it, so that's opening up, it's loosening a little bit, but also this is not the time people traditionally think about moving. Is there any particular reason why now is a really good time to move? Well, you know, it, it, what's there's a big misconception with that, that I think if you have kids in school, this is not a time where you typically move. Right. But people are not idiots. They know that you can probably get a deal if you buy this time of the year. The cool thing is the inventory is opening up. We're not exactly a balanced market by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's balancing out a little bit, which I like. I'd rather have a balanced market than a market that's upside down where we have no inventory. Uh, it just, it gets very confusing and stressful if that's the case. So it's balanced out quite a bit. If you know somebody that's looking to buy or sell, have them call me or text me at 612 859-2594. I donate a portion of every buy and sell to a local artist or musician. Love that about you. Also, kids, suck it up. Life is hard. There's going to be a lot of change and transition in your life. <laughs> have to change, you have to change schools after the first couple months. Boo frickety who. Make some new friends. <laughs> I'm not trying to be cold. I'm not trying to be cold. But hey, I mean, Brian, Brian, we, kids we are resilient. Kids I, that's are the resilient. whole thing. They bounce back. They're going to be fine. <laughs> yes, there'll be thousands of dollars in therapy years down the road. Sure. They're going to make it just fine. And you know what? <laughs> Maybe they'll actually have friends at this new school. It is the Brian Oak Show, episode 197. We're talking to Jim Brunzel third. He is the guy behind Sound Unseen, which, you know, for people who don't know cinema, don't go to film festivals, they might not have any idea about it. For, for people who are familiar, I'm sort of somewhere in that netherworld in between. Like I know just enough about cinema to make myself sound like an idiot around, around really <laughs> genuinely educated people. But Sound Unseen really is one of the most celebrated music film festivals in the country, if not the most, especially when it comes to the intersection of music and film. So we're lucky to have Jim today. Now, there is... Minneapolis stuff going on that is going to be live and in person, unlike last year. But as it sits right now, Jim, you are in Austin, Texas. Tell me what's happening in Austin right now with Sound Unseen. Well, like I said earlier, you know, um, because of the pandemic last year and doing it all virtually, it just made sense to do a virtual festival and make it available in Texas and Minnesota. And we want to expand on that. And I have a dear friend here in Austin uh, Becky Ariega, who about five years ago 
kept telling me to bring sound and scene to Austin. You got to do it. You got to do it. And, you know, I was busy, you know, with sound and scene in Minneapolis. I was busy with Agliff here in Austin and, you know, it just, it became challenging, but I think what we sort of learned with the pandemic here was there was no South by Southwest. There was no Austin city limits. And so we knew that there was sort of this void of not having film and music together because those are, you know, two major events that happen here in Austin. And so we sort of filled that gap last year and wanted to at least introduce uh, Texas and especially the Austin audience to Sound Unseen. And so the idea was to do a couple in-person screenings and just start off, you know, not, not go full blown because, you know, there are still people that are, you know, not willing to go to a club to see a band or go to the theater yet. Some people just aren't uncomfortable or, you know, are uncomfortable with that. So we didn't want to overdo it. And so we're just sort of easing into it down here in Austin and we'll see if it works out. And, you know, as I mentioned, we had the Fanny screening last night. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, we're going to be showing this really great quirky film from 2007 called The Guatemalan Handshake. And it stars Will Oldham, or better known as Bonnie Prince Billy. Mm-hmm. And this was a film that I actually saw when I was back in Minneapolis in 2006. And I tried like hell to get this film to play in Minneapolis and it just never panned out. But when I moved to Austin, I became friends with the filmmaker, uh, Todd Rohall. And if you want to go down an interesting trip of some awesome, really out there shorts, look up Todd Rohall and he's worked for Adult Swim. He's an independent filmmaker. He's worked with a lot of comedians. Uh, he's a hell of a guy. And I'm so excited that he's going to be here to screen the 15th anniversary of the Guatemalan Handshake. And it's going to be moderated by um, a filmmaker of Jeff Nichols, who has had films premiere at Sundance in Cannes. And he's been up for Independent Spirit Awards. He's best known for Mud with Matthew McConaughey and Reese Witherspoon, Loving with Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega, um, you know, Midnight Special with Adam Driver and Michael Shannon. So Jeff Nichols is a real deal filmmaker as well. So mm. the fact that Todd and Jeff will be on hand for the Guatemalan Handshake at Austin Film Society as part of Sound and Scene Austin is an incredible get. Can I, can I ask you real quick, because Adult Swim, so I'm a lifelong animation fan, right? And that's yes. largely been the bread and butter of Adult Swim but they also do these like weird sort of live interstitials that are, I feel like calling them surreal would be damning them with faint praise. (laughs) I've seen some, I've seen some of the most genuinely bizarre and fascinating and troubling things I've ever seen during the course of that adult swim arc on the evenings. How do you spell Jeff's last name? Jeff Rohal, you said? Todd Rohal. Todd. 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 So it's R-O-H-A-L. All right. Very good. Because I uh, have very little to do, precious little left to do with my Thursday after we're done here. And I will be going down that rabbit hole because the people that they have incorporated and, and brought in, you know, I think I think that animation. Let me ask you this real quick, just as a quick aside. We're not I'm not going to go all the way down this rabbit hole, but I am a lifelong animation fan. Grew up with it. I found Japanese anime long before it became the staple that it is today, but long before the advent of the Internet. Um, but not just the Japanese stuff, like really all forms of animation, anything from Hanna-Barbera to stop motion stuff out of Eastern Europe, you know, I mean, animation, you know, and I mean, in particular, the Brothers Quay, who have been, their their intersection with music has been very deep. 
I feel like animation still, even when it's put in the art context, you know, it it still gets short shrift. People still somehow don't enjoy it. Are you an animation fan at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, look, as I mentioned early on as well, I, I grew up on Disney cartoons and right. I love the Pixar films. And, you know, and I think a big part of the reason why I gravitate towards that, I mean, I'm not as much into like, Japanimation and like um, Miyazaki, um, you know, I think, you know, I just like that the Pixar films, you know, they're for everyone, you know, they're not mean spirited. They're not angry. They they have a positive Mm -hmm. message. And sometimes I think we forget the fact that, you know, films can be enlightening and, you know, they can, you know, bring us to tears and be crowd pleasers and they don't have to be serious and dour and, you know, people are dying and, you know, there's mass murders and, you know, violence and stuff. And, you know, I think the thing with Disney and animation and a lot of that is just, it's for everyone. And, you know, we have one of the best animators from the Twin Cities and Pete Doctor, yep. you know, and the fact well, that he's so, in our own backyard should be even more celebrated. You talk about Disney, though. Let's be honest. Almost every one of those truly classic Disney anima- animation characters their mother's killed in the first five minutes of the movie. All right. There, <laughs> there is, there is some real sure. brutality in Disney. All right. Yeah. And so, yeah. so no, I get that. I just, um, I just, I'm a huge fan. I always have been again in all its various forms, yes. but again, music and, and cinema, the intersection there over the years, you know, whether we're talking about erg, a music war or decline mm-hmm. of the Western civilization, you know, some yeah. truly classic early examples, but there are, brilliant documentaries emerging constantly and i started i sort of alluded to this at the very beginning as we move on and as more is learned about some of these people or as time goes on or people start to get desperate like holy shit if we don't do something now maybe no one's ever going to know about fanny or whatever yeah people get more and more into it and they, they bring more and more to light which i love because i a good example a few years ago I watched the document, uh, documentary Marley. Now, if I'm honest, and I don't care if we lose Patreon members or supporters, I don't really care about reggae, which doesn't make sense because I used to be a heavy weed smoker back in the day. And the idea of protesting and fighting against the man, I mean, that's reggae in a nutshell, right? But I never really cared about it. Marley, to this day, is in a, is a top five music docu- documentary for me all time. I love that connective tissue. I love that backstory. I love a great live performance. And mm-hmm. I really, what I really like is learning, right? So music is my wheelhouse, but mm-hmm. learning that back stuff. And, you know, what you said earlier, too, about not knowing every album AHA has ever done, not being able to rattle off song and verse. I don't think that's the important part. You know, I've told people before, oh, I'm a fan of this band. They're like, oh, really? Name five songs. I'm like, fuck you. That's not yeah. what this is about. If, <laughs> if I sit down and I love it, I love it. The end. It, it doesn't have to, you don't have to prove anything. You don't get to pick what you love, right? You are enjoying it. And that's where this kind of stuff comes into play. So I want to hear another song because this next one you've picked, I've never heard of this band before. <clears throat> so tell me what film we're relating this to and why we're playing Skating Polly. So skating, yeah. So skating, Polly is. Um, so I'll just okay. I'll, I'll just real quickly. Um, you know, take your time. It's a podcast. You got all the time. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let me go back to my birth again. No. Um, uh, you know, with sound unseen, a lot of the stuff that Rich and I, Rich Gill, you know, we do most of the programming. You know, we sort of scour other film festivals and you know sort of cherry pick from time to time or curate certain films that we want to bring to town but 
one of the other great things is we have a submission process and sometimes we get submitted films that just sort of come in blind, meaning we have no idea that these films are out there and they just sort of submit because they found us. And Skating Polly was a band that we had both heard of, but we didn't really know too much about them. And we ended up watching it like two days apart from one another. And we both just absolutely loved it. And it's these two stepsisters that formed this band in uh, Oklahoma. And they were at the ages of nine and 14 when they started. And they just sort of got this following of just being sort of like a young riot girl-esque band. And it turned out that their favorite band growing up was Babes in Toyland. What? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spoil much of the movie, but let's just say Babes in Toyland and Lori Barbero play a big part in it. And Lori Barbero is going to be doing the Q&A with the filmmaker, Henry Mortensen, who is the son of actor Vigo Mortensen. So it's like this crazy stuff that we didn't even know about, that we didn't find out about. And yeah, Skating Polly, Ugly Pop, they've put out four or five albums. They're now in their 20s. So they've been around like 15 years. And we just, we love this band now. And, you know, that's sort of the fun of Sound and Scene is, yeah, we're discovering these films, but we're also discovering new music at the same time.
okay, I'm in. I, <laughs> I, I dig it. I like it. That was cool. Like it a lot. That was great. So, you know, you, you brought up to me what is a very interesting point. You know, we both have talked about the behind the scenes stuff. I think that's what really makes music docs amazing, whether you're getting to watch an intimate moment backstage or learning about a producer or an affiliation that no one ever knew about before, you know, or, oh, this person is the son of that person, or, oh, this person was childhood friends with that person. I have to imagine working in the world of cinema like you do, even with independent cinema, there are still a lot of established stars or very famous or wealthy people who, you know, drift in and out of the orbits of a lot of these different things, be they bands, whatever. Do you have one or two particular moments where you're like, holy shit, that's so-and-so standing right over there. I mean, like, like mind-bending moments where you're like, wow, like you just, or you didn't know, or you didn't know this person cared about that band, or you didn't know this person had anything to do with that particular director. I mean, I have to imagine there are, and I'm not trying to go, you know, Hollywood tonight on you here. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> wondering like, you know, are, there have to be weirdo moments like that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what, let's see, I'll just rattle off a couple that I can think of off the top of my head. That's fine. Um, when I, let's see, I've been to Sundance 13 times. Mm. And I think the person that I was most impressed to be standing next to or in the presence of was probably Harry Belafonte. Mm. Holy um, shit, for real though. Yeah, for real, for real. And, and I actually spoke to him. Um, yeah, and that was, God, like 2010. But I mean, uh, we're, we're talking a beautiful bunch of ripe banana. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was wonderful. He was engaging. You know, I was I was nobody. And, you know, I mean, it was a three, four minute chat, but it made, you know, it, it, it it's what I think of of that year going to Sundance and the 30 other films I watch. It was like just to interact with Harry Belafonte really meant something. Um well, and so b b even before you go on to the next one, I mean, those are the moments I'm talking about. Like, I yeah. don't think you have never struck me as the kind of guy who is, for lack of a better term or a less offensive term, earmuffs kids, star fucker, right? Like, I mean, like, you're just happy to watch it unfold. You're happy to to, to ply your craft, right? To, to execute your toil. And then those weird little moments happen and like fandom pops up. Like I was backstage at Coachella once and I got lucky enough to sit in this weird little VIP area all by myself and guy sat down next to me. He's like, you mind if I take this chair? I'm like, no, man, that's cool. And he looked over and he's like, Hey, and I'm like, we shook hands. I'm like, I'm Brian. He's like edge. I was like, yeah. what? And then I looked at him <laughs> I'm like, Oh, the edge from you yeah. too. Yeah. But we just said a quick hello. We talked for 30 seconds. I moved on again. I, 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 I harbored no illusions that the edge and I were going to be pen pals. All right. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I did not believe that for a second, but see, that's the kind of stuff that's cool to me. Do you have one more? Should we move um, on? Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I mentioned early on, you know, I wanted to be a film critic and you know, one of my idols was Roger Ebert. And so oh he did Getting to sit next to him at a Sundance wow. screening was very important. What? Same with uh, Malona Dargis from the New York Times. I mean, her impact on film criticism is something that, you know, years from now, people are going to be looking back and studying like Pauline Kael. Um, you know, I actually would geek out more to meet journalists and writers than actually, you know, actors and directors. But Love I that. mean, just having run-ins with... Um, you know, Winona Ryder, Paul Giamatti, 
Um, I love wow. oh, this. Is, this is a good one. I lost my phone at the Berlin Film Festival, <laughs> and I r- went into this hotel um, because I had had my iPod with, and it was the only way I could track my phone, which I never found. But I went into the this gorgeous like hotel bathroom, and I come out and I'm washing my hands, and I look over, and there's the Swedish actor uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just like in everywhere possibly in the world, you know, Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> is standing right next to me. He's just like, hi, you know, we're washing our hands. Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, I don't really get starstruck, but when something like that, you know, when it's just like, it's just, it's like magic. It's just like, they just appear. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I, bringing my dad into this real quick, you know, I think at an early age, I sort of understood who my dad was and how important he was to a lot of people. But to me, he was just my dad. So I never, you know, I had the opportunity to meet all these famous wrestlers and I've got to go backstage to meet like Bruce Springsteen and all this stuff. And so, you know, not to like uh, boast here, but it was just sort of like that happened to me at such an early age that, yeah, when I was meeting all these filmmakers and musicians and people that were on screen or on stage, you know, I didn't have sort of that, you know, aw shucks or like, you know, deer in the headlights moments of meeting these people. And, you know, I was a film critic too, and I had to separate the art from the person and I had to give, you know, reasons why I enjoyed something or I didn't, or I'm interviewing people. So you had to be sort of objective and, you know, this whole industry. And yeah, I mean, look, people get into the film industry, music industry for wrong reasons. There's no question. And to me, at the end of the day, I just always cared about good stories and good films. And it didn't really matter what they were about, just as long as they were good. And, you know, the idea that we're building on sound and scene is we've got to cater to so many people with so many different genres and different styles of music and film and you know, I mean, look, we're, we're showing a doc on Kenny G. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big Kenny G fan, <laughs> but the film is fucking unbelievable. It's so Fabulous. good. And that's why we're showing it. It's not because we're fans of Kenny G. Now, he might be a nice guy and he's a great musician and people, you know, he's sort of the butt at jokes. But this film is really good, Brian. I'm telling you. I, I, do, I don't disbelieve you. I work at a record store. And routinely, people will come up with a stack of records and I'll flip through them because I got to check them out. I'm doing a retail job. I'm doing a (laughs) workman's job, right? But they'll be like, do you guys sit up here and judge what people buy? I'm like, no, we have 80,000 records in this store. And why would we carry the record if we thought you were an idiot for buying it? it? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, so I'll bet and see, now I know enough about Kenny too not a lot again i don't know that i could name one song but i know enough about him and have seen enough interviews that he's self-effacing and real but you don't get to become an internet meme or the butt of a worldwide joke unless you're wildly successful people gee like why would i be mad at someone for for getting joy out of something you know and so same with the film same with music same with anything and what you talk like not being starstruck in a lot of ways, you know, with you, with film criticism and film curating, 
me with doing radio, I've had to interview hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of various artists. And at some point you're just doing your job, right? And it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. And, and many of these people are fascinating and incredible. And so I'm lucky to be around them, but at no point do I harbor the illusion that we're going to be pals. We're going to be friends. I'm also not going to be like, blah, 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 blah. you know, I just, you, you're doing your job and it's, to me, it's kind of rarefied air. It's kind of wonderful to be there. Hey, before we go, any further because we really need to highlight before we wrap things up here what's sure. going to be happening in minnesota with sound unseen i do have to mention palmer's bar palmer's bar is another sponsor of our podcast located on the west bank and largely their outdoor patio which is brilliant is done for the season they may try to squeeze in one or two more but you can always find out what they're up to by heading over to the website palmersbar.net to see what they're up to what they're going to be doing for the winter. But Tony is an entire crew over there. They do an incredible job. So please, palmersbar.net, find out about what they're up to. And again, our thanks to AudioQuip. Um, meat and bones, what's going to be happening here in the Twin Cities? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we kick things off uh, Wednesday, November 10th. Um, and we run in person through Sunday, November 14th. And yeah, our opening night film is a documentary on Alanis Morissette called Jagged. And we're fortunate enough to have the director and the producer attending the screening and that'll be at the Parkway. Fabulous, um, right? Right in South Minneapolis, 48th in Chicago. And yep. uh, I, not to interject too much in here, but had the uh, very, uh, um, what turned out to be a great privilege to interview her one time. Um, it was over the phone. I did not meet her in person. She was impossibly delightful. So I think I think a lot of what these music documentaries do is they open a door that you don't you learn a lot about an artist, how they express themselves, the things that matter to them through their music and through their expression and the things that we all hear on the daily. But getting a chance to see them. She's amazing, man. She wildly intelligent and an expert communicator. She was I, I was I got to admit, I was a little bit crushed out on Alanis Morissette. Sure. I think, yeah, I think many, many guys in the, the 90s could probably say that, um, you know, and yeah, I mean, you know, we're just doing our best. These are films that we're passionate about that we just want to help get out there. We hope that Sound and Scene's a platform for a lot of these filmmakers and these films. And yeah, I think, you know, the general public will recognize a lot of them, but a lot of them, they, they, they won't. But there's a reason why they're in this festival. It's because there's a good story behind them. There's a band that maybe you've never heard of that you might be interested in. And, you know, it's all about discovery. And, you know, there's some wild stuff that we're showing. Like the Guar documentary is incredible. And wow. well, I'm not a Guar fan by like any means. But I went to awesome. see them once and I got yeah. covered in goo that I left mad. But <laughs> that I, I should have known better. I went yep. to Guar and I worked my way down to the main floor. Whose fault was that? Was that Guar's fault? No, that, that was but my fault. That was absolutely my the fault. The artistry that's involved in how they built these characters and these costumes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is what is great about this documentary. You learn the whole history of the band and it's. 40 years and how they started in Richmond, Virginia, and just grew into like this really crazy sci-fi out of this world band. But you know what? They're fucking talented musicians too. You know, they're not well, just it, some it, joke. It, 
the show is the show, right? Yes. I mean, rock and roll, yes, we all love a powerful song. Yeah. But if you're a fan of live music, I know Sean is, I know I am, mm -hmm. I know you are, as many, many people are, and we're finally getting back out there. But over the decades, the centuries, whatever you want to call it, live music is the thing. When you go to Guar, you're not going for a James Taylor ballad, right? No. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get your face fucking rocked and get covered in alien sperm. That's yeah. what happens at a Guar show. So what else? So what, uh, so you've got that show you mentioned about Atlantis coming up at the Parkway. Yep. Is this a multiple venue event? or? or yeah. Oh, yeah. I should mention our venues. Yeah. So we'll be at the Walker Arts Center, Hook and Ladder, VFW Uptown, the Trilon Cinema, Bryant Lake Bowl, the Parkway Theater, and oh, the Women's Club of Minneapolis. Where's Ground Zero? Where where do people go for the definitive Ooh. line of who's playing when? Where is it? Just is it soundunseen. Yeah, yeah, soundunseen.com. You know, we've posted most of the events on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're firing up our social media because the festival is about two weeks away. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, most of the bigger films will be at the Parkway because it's a bigger space. Um, you know, our closing night film is at the Walker and it's a local story on uh, Bibi Sahara, who was the first winner of RuPaul's Drag Race. Hmm. Oh. Um, and that, that's a Minnesota film. We have about five other films that have Minnesota stories or ties and angles. So we definitely are highlighting those. Um you know, it, 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 we're, we're coming back. We, we weren't in person last year, as you mentioned. And so we're, we're just doing our best with what we have. And, you know, we have close to 50 films. But you know what? If people aren't interested in going to the theaters, we are also offering a virtual badge. And you can watch many of the films virtually for a week. And we also have around seven or eight films that are only available virtually. So a lot of the way that will work is if the film plays... Friday in Minneapolis, it will be available Saturday virtually and it'll be available until the 17th. So if which, people are, yeah. I was just going to say, which leads me to my final two questions. So you've got a okay. ton going on, soundunseen.com. I know it sucked for everyone to stay at home for a year and a half, right? right. And like people, when they go to see a, a, a movie, the, the part of the experience is going to see the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Even though you want everyone to shut up and put their phones down, you're also you're part you're still part of a social collective experience and there's a thing about seeing it on the big screen so while it may have been in some regards disappointing to have to experience this virtually last year there's also something about the global nature of it where maybe we're only going to get 15 people at this screening but if we do it virtually we might get hundreds you know i mean and so you it's you know the universe seeks a balance i guess is what i always say there are parts where you're like you know it sucks we would like this place to be packed but it's not but if we do it online we might get lots and lots more people and so i i'm sure that's frustrating but also that i mean is that a reality absolutely i mean but look uh sound and scene is a minnesota born festival yep. just because we're doing screenings in minneapolis doesn't mean that people in Duluth, St. Cloud, Rochester, Marshall can't, you know, enjoy the festival from afar either. I understand, right. you know, money's tight for a lot of people. Traveling is expensive now. Uh, rental cars are through the roof, hotels. So, mm -hmm. you know, and this is a way that you can still become engaged. You can still see some of these films that aren't available anywhere else right now. And, you know, you're supporting a good cause and sound unseen. I mean, we just want to, you know, make sure that we're on the map just as long 
as people, you know, want us to stick around, we'll keep doing this. You know, we enjoy it. I mean, we don't make a ton of money doing it, but we enjoy the hell out of it. And we believe in our product and, you know, we just love great music films. So that being said, one last question, and then we really have to wrap it up because I could pick your brain for another three hours. Um, Well, first of all, one comment and then one question, and then we are going to wrap things up. You're going to be at the Parkway a bunch for this stuff. If you have anybody who is either bored enough, drunk enough, or passionate enough, we are literally two doors south of the Parkway. You want to bring someone over for a podcast? You you get a hold of me and you let me know, or you get a hold of Sean and let us know. We're more than happy to accommodate, promote, do anything like that. So over the years of doing this, right, mm-hmm. it's grown in stature. It's become more popular. It's become, dare I say, distinguished, right? And mm-hmm. so, but there's always more films than there is space to show the films, right? So right. over the years, you must have had either producers, directors, fan bases, or the bands themselves get bitter about the fact that they were not included. Do you have a particularly gruesome story in that regard? I'm not asking you to call anybody out. I'm not asking you to shame anybody. But <laughs> kind I mean, of. Like, it kind of is. <laughs> well, okay, I am, Sean. Thank you for drawing greater attention to that. But I mean, again, I really, I'm not looking for the dirt. No. But I mean, like, that you had to have said no to people that either A, you regretted it, or B, they parked outside your house in their van. Well, they wouldn't park outside of my house because one, I don't live there anymore. And if they parked okay. outside my parents' house, they would feel the wrath of Jumpin' Jim. So Ooh. Ooh. And nobody fucking wants that, do they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Did no, he have a signature I mean, move? Did he have a move? Yeah, he had a flying drop kick. Jesus. How- How's yeah. your flying drop kick? Awful. Uh, <laughs> awful. <laughs> but if there's anyone listening that wants to make a documentary on my dad, I'm willing to help that because as you cool. said, there's always more stories. So I'll mm-hmm. pitch that. But no, I mean, look, um, yeah, there's people that are disappointed. There's films that we always want to play and we don't have space. But, you know, I learned very early on in all this and I'll give a shout out to my local mentor who passed away in December and we're dedicating this year's sound and steam to Pamela Epslin and Al Milgram and Al Milgram was a huge influence on me. You know, he would be booking films for M Spiff two days before the festival and everyone would lose their mind. Um, and, you know, we learned that we can't play every film, you know, and there's just some films that, you know, maybe we can bring them back as a monthly or we can bring them back another time. And it's not that we don't, want the film to be part of it. But yeah, I mean, we're a crew of five people that work on this festival. We're all volunteers. We only have so much bandwidth that we can do. And, you know, we have to be semi-selected of what we screen, you know? So when something like, I'll just, you know, the material issue documentary out of time, this was pitched to us three days before we announced the festival. And sometimes you have good fortune of saying, hey, material issue is a band in the nineties that I listened to and they're from Chicago, so they have a following in the Midwest. Would you be interested in playing their new documentary as a world premiere? And sometimes shit like that happens, you know? Not always, but it does occasionally. Well, it's brilliant because, and the timing is, couldn't be more fortuitous. As you mentioned when we were talking before we yeah. started doing this, the 30th anniversary of their album, genuinely one of the greatest American power pop albums of all time, yeah. uh, uh, international pop overthrow, which 
again, our worlds are colliding a little too much today. It's a little weird for me. <laughs> but the guy I work for who runs the record store I work for started a record label specifically, and he's going to do more stuff moving on, but specifically to re-release it because it never was released in America on vinyl. There's yeah. only going to be 1,500 copies. It's going to vanish instantaneously. So go to millcitysound.com if you want to know more about that. But I mean, that's coming out, this documentary. And of course, tragic you know loss of life of lead singer i really a terrible story yeah. but again to go back and listen to their catalog I, i'm not overstating it i don't think it's hyperbole to say one of the greatest moments in american power pop music before we get into a song by material issue and say goodbye to jim brunzel the third i do need to thank all of our sponsors one more time i need to thank you you're welcome thumbs up that's it. Okay, great. Now it's always very emotional when we say goodbye. And, um, <laughs> we're running. Also, we're running really close to the end of our Zoom time, so I'm just worried that we'll get oh, the song okay. in before they Fine, cut us wrap off. it up. Wrap it up. No yeah. problem. Wrap it up. Um, also, I want to thank our Patreon supporters and everyone who's ever listened, subscribed, amplified. It's great, Jim. It is excellent to see your face again. When you come back to town, I know you'll be very busy. We're right down the damn street. Text me when you get into town and we'll do something. And if you have anybody involved with the festival, we'd love to have them by the end of episode 197. <laughs> and here you have chosen, again, a, a brilliant song by a band that we'll be able to watch a documentary about. And if you want to find out more, soundunseen.com. Jim, be well. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Hey, Thanks, Brian, John, thank you. And the band, Material Issue, will be at the screening. Woo! Drink shoes.